Well, good morning, family. Imagine with me, if you will, that we're all at a wedding reception. The DJ grabs the microphone and he says, who here has been married for 10 or more years? And all these hands go up and, and uh, people start applauding. And, and then he says, okay, well, who here has been married for 25 or more years? Less hands go up, but the applause get louder. And then the DJ says, well, who here has been married for 50 or more years? Maybe just a couple hands go up, and the room erupts with applause. In fact, people stand up, they give a standing ovation. Why? Why do we give standing ovations for couples who have been married for 50 or more years? Why do we do that? Because there is no way that that was easy. There's just no way, no way that that was easy for, for a very different, two very different people to, to be married for that long, to, to work it out, to stick it out, to, to whatever. It's, it's just, we know, we know kind of deep down inside us that healthy marriages take a lot of work. We kind of know that, but we forget it all the time. <laughs> We, we forget it. We, we watch that romantic comedy or we watch that movie and, and we fall back into the myth that if just Mr. Wright finds Mrs. Wright and they decide to be together, then the rest will just work itself out. It, it'll be easy. It, it'll just be intuitive that, that he'll just love me enough to know exactly what I want him to do. Or, or she'll just love me enough to, to know what to say and to know how to behave. That if we just have love, then it should work it out. If we just, if we just commit to one another, Mr. Right, Mrs. Right, we'll be happily ever after. But that's not how it works. And if you've been married for seven days or less, you know that's not how it works. <laughs> that, that marriage is tough. Marriage is difficult. And, and if you're sitting there today and, and you're going, man, my marriage takes a lot of work. My marriage is kind of rough. My marriage is difficult. My marriage is tough. And welcome to the rest of the real world. <laughs> you are in good company. Why, why is marriage so tough? What, why isn't it so easy and intuitive? Why doesn't love just fix everything? Why doesn't just Mr. Right and Mrs. Right coming together, decide to be together? Why doesn't that just work out have, happily ever after? Why, why? Why is marriage not easy? Why is it so difficult? I'm going to give you three very profound answers. They all start with the letter S. They're about to rock your world. You can write them down if you want, but let me tell you three reasons why marriage is so difficult. Because we are sinful, we are selfish, and we are stupid, all right? That's why. That's why marriage is so tough, because we are sinful, we are selfish, and we're just, we're just stupid, all right? We, we just are. We, we mess this thing up all the time. I mean, Kurt preached this wonderful sermon last week about the whys of marriage and all God's intentions as he gave us this beautiful gift. I mean, if you, you look at it, the Bible starts with a beautiful wedding story. Genesis chapter 1. God creates the universe he creates this planet. He creates this beautiful garden. It's like an all-inclusive nudist resort. I mean, it's just, there God creates it, gives it to us. Chapter 2, wedding. Man, woman, together in the presence of God. Chapter 3, 
we throw it all away. We mess it all up, right? Yeah, I, I mean, that's what happens. And so in, in chapter 3 of Genesis, God says, okay, you took matters into your own hands. I told you what to do. You decided not to do it. I said, you know, we can be close if you just do this. And we're like, God, we want to do that. And we'll be Lord of our own lives. And it didn't work out. And so God says, oh, no. Well, there's natural consequences because you've invited death and sin now into this world. And so there's natural consequences. He, he says to the woman, he says, look, you, you brought death into the world. So as you try to bring new life into the world, it's going to be painful. There's going to be some painful childbirth. And he turns to the man, he says, man, as you're trying to keep this new family alive and provide for them, uh, you're not going to like it. You're going to sweat a lot. You're going to be grumpy a lot. You know, the work is not going to be as pleasing as you think it will be. It's going to be tough to preserve and protect and provide for this family. And then he says, and whoa, now there's actually going to be tension in this marriage relationship. You guys are going to be at odds with each other. Not because of what I wanted, but it's because now sin's in the world. In fact, he says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. He says to the woman, and you will desire to control your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, I have heard this verse misused much of my lifetime. <laughs> in other words, I've heard people say, well, that's how God created it. That, that was it. That's not how God created it. <laughs> That's, that's the punishment. That's the, the consequence. Oh, no, sin's in the world. It, it messed it up what God created. Uh, now the woman's going to want to control the husband. The husband's just going to lord over the woman. And there's going to be tension in the relationship. It's going to be difficult. <laughs> and, and I thought this morning, I thought as I'm going to share the what of marriage. What do we do in marriage? How, how do we pull this off? You know, what kind of skills can we use and learn? I thought all I got to do. All I got to do is just find that married couple in the Bible that just really set the example for the rest of us. I mean, they just got one thing right after another. All I got to do is hone into that one couple. We can learn from them. We'll learn what to do, what not to do. Uh, just that, that skill right there. And here's the problem. There are a lot of married couples in the Bible. And they all screwed it up. All right. They, they all messed it up. They might have got one or two things right, but they got a whole lot wrong. For, for example, you got Adam and Eve, who had a honeymoon in paradise. They traded it in for hell and polyester. I mean, we got we to gotta wear clothes now. You, you, got, you got Abraham and Sarah. They, they were faithful to God, and they weren't faithful to each other. Isaac and Rebecca, they, they gave up their own families uh, to be together, and uh, they had a hard time raising a healthy family while they were together. Uh, you got Jacob and Rachel. They fought so hard to be together, and then they fought so hard while they were together. You got Boaz and Ruth who pushed the boundaries of society to be together and then pushed the boundaries of decency while they were together. You got David and Abigail who loved each other deeply, but they were not the only dears that they loved. In fact, she was like his third wife and counting. I mean, this, I, I don't have, ah, here's the married couple in the Bible that got it right. They all got it wrong. Why? Because they're all sinful, just like us. And as long as we're sinful, we will struggle in marriage. There will be tension and angst in the relationship. And you may say, okay, Tom, I'll give you that. You, you know, we're sinful. But I'm not very selfish. I mean, like, I'm the giver in the relationship. I don't know what you mean by that whole selfish thing. See if you can relate. Just, just give me a moment. See if you can relate. When I was single... I spent men, a lot of time dreaming about 
that perfect person for me? When is God going to deliver that perfect person for me? I spent like no time dreaming about maybe I'm that perfect person for somebody else. (laughs) No, even in my thoughts about marriage, it was selfish. It was about me. When's God going to bring that person along for me? And you may say, okay, well, maybe we're sinful, maybe we're selfish, but we're not stupid. I mean, we're not dumb. If, if, by the way, if you're sitting there and you think you're not dumb, you're probably dumber than you think. Um, I mean, you don't even know how you started thinking to begin with, right? I mean, we, we can't even make sense of that. No, we, we're, we're dumb. Let's be honest. We're, we're stupid when it comes to marriage. For instance, God gives us this beautiful gift in marriage. And very quickly, we turn it into a debt-debtor relationship. In other words, we bring all these expectations into it. Like, I watched this movie, and I know he's going to want to do this. This is the role he's going to play. Or I, I saw this in another relationship, or I saw this in my head, and, and this is how uh, that my husband is going to behave. This is how they're, what they're going to want to do. This is, I mean, dishes. It's going to be like the first love for some reason. You know, we, we have these expectations in this marriage, and, and we go, oh, that I, I know exactly the role my wife is going to play. I know exactly what she's going to do and how she's going to do it. We bring these expectations, and here's what happens. We hold up these expectations and we bring them into our marriage relationship. And nine times out of ten, as a spouse, we fall short of them. We fall short. I expect this of you. I have this. I I thought, you know, the person I married, they're going to do this. And what do we do? We fail each other all the time. We fall short. And so we turn it in. It kind of feels like you owe me. You you owe me my expectation. I had this expectation and you've fallen short. So now you you owe me a debt. And, And we're always in debt with this type of relationship. You always fall short. You always owe me and you always do that. Here's the problem with a debt or debtor relationship with a you owe me relationship. Even if you come through, let's say you owe me money and you pay the money you owe me. It's hard for me to love, appreciate, feel gratitude for that. You just paid me what you owe me. And the problem in marriage is we quickly turn it into a debt or debtor relationship that keeps us in debt. And the couple times we pull through, it still doesn't equal gratitude. It still doesn't uh, spur on love. And so love starts to drain out of it. And then because we let each other down, we start to distrust one another. Well, you fell short of this expectation, so you'll probably fall short of the next expectation. In fact, I'll just start by being angry with you now because I know you're going to let me down. <laughs> And we start to distrust one another. And here's the problem with that. Trust is so intimately tied with intimacy. You can't give yourself wholeheartedly to somebody you don't trust. So we're stupid. God gives us this beautiful thing. And we quickly turn it into a debtor relationship. We typically uh, turn it into something where distrust is just uh, fed. And and, and all of a sudden, we we end up squeezing the love and intimacy out of it. If it was easy, if it was intuitive, we wouldn't need instructions. We wouldn't need biblical skills. Uh, We wouldn't need God to guide us in it. But we do because it's not easy. And so the nice thing about God is he doesn't just leave us hanging. He understands our problem, and he gives us some great guidance. And so we're going to talk about, well, what does God give when it comes to marriage? Now, last week, we we talked about a book that came out called Mentor Us, and and what we did was we tried to take all those scriptures where God talks about the truth of marriage, and we kind of compiled it into a book and collected all the wisdom and stuff we'd learned and put it all in there. And uh, it's a lot of content. 
All right, there's a lot of what in marriage. And thank you all for, for supporting it. It hit number one on several best-selling lists on Amazon. Uh, it's, it's out for the world to, to exist and have those truths to exist now. Here's the deal. It's like six chapters full of good stuff. I'm going to skim the surface in about 26 minutes. I mean, I, I'm not going to get to everything today. So I'd encourage you either to get the book or, or the, a great thing to do is sign up for a group today. The group, our care groups and connect groups, they, the registration starts today. Sign up for the uh, Marriage Mondays group. They're actually going to go through this book on a whole deeper level. So, like, I'm not going to get to your love life today. You should read that chapter, though. It's good, all right? I- I'm not going to get to your financial planning. You should, you should check that out. But so I'm going to scratch the surface, but I want you to hear me. Don't stop there. Go deeper into this, whether using the book or another book or, or getting into a group, but take it further. And if you're single and you've already tuned me out, I just need you to tune back in for one second, all right? Tune back in for one second, singles, because here's the truth. I'm about to give you a what when it comes to marriage, but it's not just a what when it comes to marriage. In fact, if you can get this singular what and hold on to it, you will have success in every relationship you're a part of, in every relationship you're a part of. So what's the what? It actually comes from the mouth of Jesus, See, it was the last supper Jesus would have with his disciples before he was going to be crucified. And he starts some of the table talk by saying this. So I give you now a new commandment. Now, if you're a good Jewish boy, which he was surrounded by good Jewish boys, you should have just got up and walked out of the room right there because that sounds like heresy. Only, only Moses gave commandments. He gave 613 commandments on behalf of God. And Jesus is going, hey, by the way, I got a whole new commandment. I'm bigger than Moses. I'm kind of God. And uh, so listen up. Here you go. And he sums up 613 commandments into one singular commandment. So I give you a new commandment. Love each other as you deserve to be loved. No, that's not what he said. He says, love each other as you desire to be loved. Nope, didn't say that either. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. Every scripture and teaching in the New Testament is predicated on the foundation of this one command. Our love in every relationship we're in a part of is not based off how we deserve to be loved. It's not based on how we desire and want people to love us. It is all based on how Jesus loved us. And that becomes the foundation of how we will then love each other. In fact, all the writings of Paul, all all the marriage advice that the Apostle Paul and Peter give, all that guidance, it all goes back to this one what? That if we can get what this kind of love looks like, if we can love each other in our marriage relationship, not as we deserve to be loved, not as we desire to be loved, but rather based on how Jesus loved us, then we will have success in every relationship we're a part of. So what does this look like? What does this, look, this love look like in marriage? Well, let's just go for the jugular. 
You know, let, let's go for that scriptural elephant in the room, okay? Let's go to that, that one verse that Paul writes down, and people are like, this is why I can't be a Christian, because Paul, when it came to marriage, he wrote down this. You know, this is, let, let's just go there. Let, let's pick, like, the most offensive translation we can find, too. Here we go. You ready? Let's go. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, when it comes to marriage, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Thank you all for coming out this morning. I'll see you next week. And just really click, no. What? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. There's, there's a reason it doesn't sit well with us. There's a reason. Because we, we are a culture of equality. And there's something in our hearts that says, that, that feels a little odd. That feels a little off. By the way, I would challenge you to see when the culture started switching to equality. It's actually, if you go back in history, I think Jesus lights the fire for the belief of equality. Jesus brought a whole different perspective when it came to men and especially women. And so let's blame Jesus for that whole quality thing. But, but here's what's interesting. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands because they deserve it. Nope. Because they desire it. Nope. As you do to the Lord. You know, here's something interesting. If you were to go back into the ancient text of the Greek language in which this was written, and you were to pull out this specific verse right here. Do you know that as you went through the verse, at no point in time would you find the verb submit? It's not in there. In fact, if you were just to read it straight out of the Greek, it would say, wives to your husbands as unto the Lord. So where do we get the verb submit? Where'd it come from? We see the way the Greek language is built is it's actually inferred from verses previous to it. Well, what do the verses previous to this passage say? Well, let's go back at least two verses before this. In two verses before this, Paul is talking to husbands and wives, and he says this, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, or better, a better translation would be everyone in your life, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another, because you deserve it, because you desire it? No, but out of reverence for Christ, because of your love for him and his love for you. In other words, what's Paul saying? Husbands, submit to your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Marriage is a submission competition. It's a race to the back of the line for each other. That this is what this love looks like. It's a submission competition. Look, if we were to take a survey of the whole world, and, and we were going trying to find a man worthy of your submission, or we were trying to find a woman worthy of your submission. I can tell you the results of the survey right now, zero percent, all right? And no one is worthy of each other's submission, but that's not the point. It's not what we deserve or desire. It's because of Christ's love for us that marriage becomes a submission competition to one another. And then Paul kicks it up a notch, as he often does. He says this, Verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Well, how'd that work out for Jesus? He died, all right? He, he gave up himself for her, and uh, it was painful. And, and what's Paul saying? He's going, hey, marriage, this love, it looks like husbands sacrificing for the wives, letting her life be more important than yours. 
It looks like submission. It looks like sacrifice. But also what it looks like, it, it, he says this in, in the next verse, or I'm sorry, verse 28. He says, the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. What is Paul saying? He's saying, hey, husbands, you're not your own. You now belong to your wives. Wives, you're not your own. You now belong to your husbands. You have united in a way where you are now united and one. What does this love look like to love each other like Jesus? It looks like submission. It looks like sacrifice and it looks like solidarity. In other words, if you want to love like Jesus, then you got to trade out those old S words. You got to trade out the selfish. You got to trade out the sinful. You got to trade out the stupidity and you got to trade them in for submission for sacrifice, for solidarity, that the two actually become one. If you get that what, the rest falls into place. That's what loving each other as Jesus loved us looks like. And so let's give you some practical stuff to walk away with today. Uh, In the book Mentor Us, we're we're constantly having the couple draw out a plan to move, excuse me, to move their marriage more and more uh, into the example of Christ's love for us, to to move their marriage more and more into how God desires us to love and treat each other. And and so so one of those we know is that we have to move from your story as an individual to our story as a couple. Paul, as he continues to talk about marriage, he quotes an Old Testament verse. It's Ephesians 5.31. It says, for this reason... A man will leave father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, this verse shows up in every wedding, and there's a reason, because it begins to define what does marriage look like. When I'm meeting with couples before they get married, I just like to ask them out of curiosity to say, hey, um, just wondering if after you get married, are you guys planning to move into your parents' basement together and live there indefinitely? Anybody planning that? And so far, it's 0%. I said yes, because, which is good because that, that's part of what makes a marriage. In fact, you can go to a Jewish wedding today and that the family of the bride, they'll break a glass and they'll yell, Mazel Tov, which means uh, good luck to you or we wish you well. And it's the idea that this bride is now bro- broken off of our family. She's no longer under our protection and provision. She's now under the groom's protection and provision. And, and the family of the groom is saying, he's no longer under our protection and provision. He's under the bride's protection and provision. That they are now broken off of our families and now united to have a new family together, to start a new story together. Now, if you're going to start a new story together, you still got to talk about and be honest about the old story. Your story as individuals have to come together. And you got to talk about your past story. I'm not saying you have to dwell on your past. I'm just saying you have to be honest about it. And as you share your past, you can start building that new story together. What's the next chapter going to look like? What do you want it to look like? And you may say, well, I don't even know how to have that conversation. That just seems like an awkward conversation. Talk about my past, talk about my hopes for the future. I've been married for 17 plus years and counting. And something I'm learning over and over is that the best marriages are filled with awkward conversations. Just because it's awkward doesn't mean you don't have it. If anything, it it might be a, a clue to go ahead and work through this one together. 
even though it might be awkward, even though it might be bumpy. The best marriages have awkward conversations. It's going to be work. It's going to be. Because marriage is tough. And and we get to decide today the amount of work we're going to put into it for a future result. When I'm meeting with couples before they get married, a lot of times I'll ask them, do any of you drive a Ford Fiesta? Most often it's no. I say, good, because I'm going to make fun of it. Um, So, uh, and if any of you drive a Ford Fiesta, I'm sorry. Not because I'm going to make fun of it. I'm just sorry. Um, Let's be honest. You wouldn't have made it into service. It would have broke down on the way. Anyway, but (laughs) I lost that demographic right there. Okay. But, but here's the thing about a Ford Fiesta. It's, it's actually one of the cheapest cars to buy, all right? So it's not going to cost a lot of money for you to, to own one. Um, when things break down and need replacing, and they will, in 2018, it, it was rated one of the most unreliable cars on the road. And, uh, and so when things break down on the Ford Fiesta, it'll be cheap to replace. And at the end of the day, you will have a Ford Fiesta. And if you contrast that with maybe, let's say, a Ferrari. Ferrari is going to be very expensive to buy and own. If you need to replace something on the Ferrari, it's going to be expensive to replace. But at the end of the day, you'd have a Ferrari, which are some of the only cars known to accrue in value over time. You see, we decide today and now what type of marriage we want to have in the future. What is the next chapter going to look like? And if we decide we're going for the Ferrari, we're going for the standing ovation. And it will cost more. It'll cost more time. It'll cost more money. It'll cost more energy. But maybe we should look at it not so much as a cost, but more of an investment. You know, my wife and I, we, um, we have a day every week that we do lunch together. Yep. And when we miss it, it feels like that. Um, <laughs> but we do we have, we have a lunch, that, a lunch appointment every week. Every week we have a lunch appointment. Um, and, uh, and if we have to change that, it takes both of us permission to sign off on that, okay? So we protect that time. We, we budget for date nights and babysitter money and, you know, going out to eat money. That's in the budget. Uh, we'll, we'll set aside money to, to have a couple of retreats away, just the two of us each year, all right? Um, the, when my wife and I, we were, we were uh, shopping for couches for our, our living room, we decided to spend a little extra money to get the couches where we could sit next to each other and cuddle comfortably as we watch TV. It's not a cost. That's an investment in our marriage. And we decide now, do we want the Fiesta or do we want the Ferrari-type marriage? And, and so if so, then it's, we're investing more time, more money, and more energy because that's what it's going to require to plan out our story together. And in marriage, we want to move not just from your story to our story. We want to move uh, from your design to our design. Do you know that statistically? Statistically, we tend to hang out with people who are a lot like us. Uh, Our best friends in college, our our coworkers, sometimes the siblings that are more like us, or neighbors. Statistically, there's only one relationship where somehow we end up with somebody who is, an, who is not a lot like us. It's the mate relationship. It's, it's the only relationship where somehow opposites attract. 
and we find ourselves with somebody very different than ourselves. Now, when we fall in love, we don't notice those differences as much. We kind of explain them away. Like we just tell our guy friends, you know, she's just kind of quirky, you know? And, and we, or you tell, ladies, you, t- you tell your girlfriend, oh, he just has such interesting perspectives on the world. And, and then what happens is as the fog of love dissipates, we're like, can you believe she would say that? And, uh, and, and we would say that to our guy friend who's just like us, right? About somebody who's not like us. And they're gonna be like, she sounds crazy. And, uh, you know, and girls, you, you go to your best girlfriend, like, can you believe he would do that? She's like, he sounds like a jerk. And, and, you're, and so, so there, there's a reason why we gotta work it out with somebody who's not designed like us, but we got not with somebody who is more like us, but with, we got to find those skills of how to work it out. And why? Why does God allow this to happen? Why, why have all of a sudden in the mate relationship only, statistically, we end up with somebody who's more opposite than us? And as the fog of love kind of dissipates, we, we go from appreciating those differences to resenting those differences. Why would God set it up that way? Well, Kurt shared with us last week that God created marriage so that we could complement one another. God puts two opposites together to complement two different designs to form one wonderful design together. So Paul gives us some great guidance in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, kind of based off each other's design. He says this, however, each one of you must also love his wife, husbands, um, as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Now, why would Paul say two different things there? In other words, he's going, husbands, I want you to love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Why, why say it that way? Ladies, do you know that statistically, a guy's number one fear, our number one fear is failure. That we are going to let you down that we're not going to be able to do enough. We're not going to be able to provide enough. I mean, we would give you the moon if we could just afford it. <laughs> but our number one fear is that you'll look at us like a failure, that, that, that we will let you down and you'll hold it against us. And there's something, something nice when my wife tells me, my wife Erica will tell me that she loves me. There's something nice about that. But there's something so much better <laughs> When my wife will say things like, Tom, you were the man. <laughs> I like how you uh, make me feel safe when I'm around you. I like how you work hard to protect and provide for us. There's something with that, when she just pours on that respect, that man, I feel good. It, it, it's as if she's saying, I believe in you even when you don't believe in you. You, you can never fail in my eyes. Which, by the way, guys, it's only failure if we give up. <laughs> just learning. (laughs) But wives, when you pour that respect into the husband, according to his design, you address his worst fear. Guys, you know what ladies, statistically, their worst fear is? Abandonment. That we're not sticking around. That if the grass looks greener, that's where we're going. It's one thing for us to respect our women. There's nothing wrong with that. And I mean, my wife's killing it right now. She's doing double clinicals and all this schooling to become a nurse practitioner on top of everything else life throws at you. And, and, and I respect it. I, I'm proud of her. And, and I share that, but it doesn't seem to fill her up as much as when I say things like, Erica, I love you so much. 
I could not be without you. I'd be lost without you. I think about you in the morning. I pray for you. I think about you at night. I pray for you. That's how much I love you. I remember when I first got engaged to, to my wife, Erica, it all kind of seemed like a, a blur, okay? I mean, like, next thing I know, I'm on one knee. I got this ring I paid a lot of money for, and I'm asking her, you know, will, will you marry me? And all of a sudden, I'm engaged, and, and I remember my, my life felt like it was in an upheaval. Like, I don't know what to do next with life. And, and uh, I remember talking to my dad on the phone and just like, Dad, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm engaged somehow and all this. And he's like, well, you could, you know, that's how I felt. He said, you, you could always Always call off the engagement. And I knew right away, well, Dad, I can't do that. I, I can't be without her. That's why I did all these things. <laughs> and his advice was, well, maybe then you should spend energy trying to figure out how to be together then and how that works out. You see, when we pour love, when we tell our women we can't be without them, that's how much we love them. We address their greatest fear. You know, another thing we, we work towards is to move from our communication or your communication style, excuse me, to our communication. We've all got different ways to communicate. And we want to move not just, we want to move from our styles as individuals, I'm sorry, your style as an individual to our style together. Uh, my wife and I, several years back, we spent a, uh, a weekend, did a weekend retreat with Tim and Diana Journey. Uh, they lead some great groups, have for years, uh, for marriage. In fact, they wrote a great book to check that out. But, but they've just been a wonderful resource to, to our church for a number of years when it's come to marriage. And, and we spent uh, a weekend with several other couples and, and just kind of pouring, and learning, pouring into and learning about our marriage. And, and I remember them talking about how often when we communicate, or better yet, often when we fight, <laughs> one of us tends to be a hailstorm and the other a turtle. <laughs> now, I tend to be more the hailstorm. I want to rain down my proofs and my points of why we should do this now and this way, and this is why this is important. And my wife's more like the turtle where she just wants to go deeper into the shell and get away from the storm. And I can go, well, that's my style. And she goes, that's their style. But it doesn't solve anything. It doesn't resolve anything. And so we, we have to work hard to go from your communication style to our way that we communicate with one another. The Apostle Peter, he says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting verse 1, he says, And now let me go ahead and speak to the wives. Be devoted to your own husband so that your kind conduct may win them over without you saying a thing. And husbands, you in turn must treat your wives with tenderness, viewing them as feminine partners who deserve to be honored. I've watched a lot of Dr. Phil in my day. Um, and something I would say almost every episode to, to somebody on the show, he, he would ask him, he says, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Because we often don't get to be both. <laughs> and one of the what's that, that we've learned, we learned from the journeys, we've carried it on, is that when we're having an important conversation or when we're about to fight, a lot of times we'll put a pin in that and set an appointment to have a conversation later. Maybe it's later that night, maybe it's the next day, but it, we put time in it for me to settle down and her to get her thoughts in order. Why? Well, Peter says this in verse 8. He continues, he says, This is the goal, to live in harmony with one another and demonstrate affectionate love, sympathy, and kindness, to never retaliate when somebody treats you wrongly, nor insult those who insult you, but instead respond by speaking a blessing over them. Husbands, what would it look like if we consistently spoke blessings over our wives? Wives, what would it look like if you just kept speaking blessings over your husband? 
I know, but he said this, or but she did this. And sometimes it just feels painful to not make it about me. <laughs> so why do it? Well, this is how Peter sums up the conversation. In verse 18, he says, because Christ suffered and died for sins once and for all, the innocent for the guilty, to bring you near to God by his body. You see, the foundation of our love and marriage is not based on the love we have for each other. The foundation is based on the love Christ had and demonstrated for us. We don't love each other because we deserve it. We don't love each other because we desire it. We love each other because of what Christ demonstrated in his love for us. Singles, if I lost you, I want to bring you back again. One more. Because there's something I wish I did sooner as a single male. I eventually got it right. It just took me a little bit. And, and, and the problem was I... I realized I kept dating the same girl. I mean, she had a different name every time, but it was the same girl. It was, you know, an unhealthy relationship. And, and, and I realized I had a pattern, and it wasn't a good one. And I remember having some alone time with God where I just felt convicted, where I felt like God was saying, Tom, if you want to date a different type of woman, then you must become a different type of man. I thought it would take about six months, God said a year, for me to be able to focus on, God, who do you want me to be for somebody else? And uh, it was a year later, I met my now wife, Erica. And it's still a prayer request. God, today, how can I be more like Jesus for my wife today? Because that's the foundation. That's the only what I have. It's the only shot I got <laughs> to love each other like Jesus. And I'm very blessed that she asked him the same question because I get a lot of grace that I don't deserve. <laughs> you know, the Bible starts with a wedding story and it also ends with a wedding story. But there's an, this engagement story in between. It happens on that, that night, that last supper Jesus has with his disciples before he's crucified. You know, in Jesus' day, when a man wanted to marry a woman, he would present to her a cup of wine. And if she drank from his cup, then she was accepting his marriage proposal. And then they would agree not to drink from this cup again, at least not to the wedding feast. Because then the man would go, he would disappear for a little while, and he would go to prepare a place for his bride. Sometimes it was an extension of his father's home. Sometimes it was a standalone structure, but he would build for them a house. He would build for them a bedroom, and he would build for them a bed. And once he had completed those projects, he would return to go find his bride. In the meantime, she was preparing to, uh, her, herself to spend a lifetime with her groom. And when the groom would return, he said, hey, I have prepared a place for us. And so they would have a wedding feast and celebration. They'd drink a lot of wine together. And then they would go back to the place the groom had prepared for the bride and be together from then on. You see, Jesus at that, that last supper before his crucifixion, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is how much I love you, that I'm willing to be broken for you. 
And then he offered a cup. He offered an invitation into a relationship that looks different from any other relationship we are able to have. And Jesus says, I'm offering you my cup, and I want you to drink from it. And I will not drink from it again until the day we get to drink from it together at the great wedding feast. And then John continues the conversation in John chapter 14, where Jesus says, and now I'm going away to prepare a place for you. My father's house has many rooms. I'm going to prepare them for you. And once I prepare that place, I will come back to be with you now and for always. You see, God doesn't just teach us about love. God shows us love through Jesus. And he invites us into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ so that he can fuel our hearts to pour out that kind of love in our marriages, in our relationships, and in life. And perhaps if we just take some time to love Jesus and experience his love back for us, perhaps years from now, we can enjoy some standing ovations. Let's just take these next moments. And we have the two elements, we have the bread, we have the drink. Let's just take these next moments and just spend time loving Jesus and letting him love us. I'll close this in prayer, but just take the elements as you're ready and let's spend some time with him right now. you love us and that you didn't just say it you showed it through Jesus and you showed us the love that's submissive and sacrificial and you brought us together as part of your family through him Lord we're grateful for the sacrifice we're grateful to be in a relationship or to have the opportunity to be in a relationship with In fact, I pray if there's anybody in this room who's never entered into that relationship, Lord, that you would give them the courage to make a decision for Jesus today. Lord, may you fill us up with your love so that we may pour it out on those around us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for being here. We'll see you next week. God bless you.